It would be difficult, yea, impossible, to overstate the importance of the Holy Trinity for Christian faith and practice. For Christian faith and praxis. Because God is Trinity. And how could one overstate the importance of God who is axiologically other? That is, the importance of the one God in three persons whose value is invaluable, whose worth makes him worthy of all glory, honor, and praise. The Trinity is at the heart of the Christian life. The Trinity is the Christian life, for life is found alone in the Trinity. We were created by the Holy Trinity and for the Holy Trinity, for relationship with and in the triune God. So what do we lose if we don't have the Trinity? To quote the great theologian Johnny Depp, who said, when asked what he lost on account of the accusations by Miss Heard, nothing less than everything. I know y'all were watching that, so I threw that in there. Don't try to be so high-minded. I know y'all are watching that on your phones. There would be no Christianity without the Trinity. If, for example, the Son is not homoousios, consubstantial, that is, of one being with the Father, then he is a demigod who is then incapable of effecting an eternal salvation. Thus, there's no salvation without the Trinity, and not just for the individual who denies the doctrine, but period. If Jesus is not fully God of one being with the Father, we would then, as Christians, affirm without reservation the Holy Trinity as having first importance doctrinally. But we are likely reluctant to affirm it as first importance practically. What does the Holy Trinity have to do with everyday life? Father Martin Thornton writes this on the doctrine of the Holy Trinity. Far from being a metaphysical conundrum of interest only to the academic and of no practical consequence, it is the most down-to-earth spiritual formula that the church has ever come up with. Neither progress nor spiritual health is possible without it. Christian prayer, which is the only springboard for Christian action, is controlled by the Trinity. The hallmark of Christian sanctity, the core of the Christian outlook on life, that which distinguishes it from any other religious system, is that it is Trinitarian. Our life, our prayer life, and the resulting conceptions of God shape our relationship with God. More broadly, our conception of God affects the way we relate to God, others, 
and ourselves. And while every Christian, by definition, is Trinitarian, there's no such thing as a non-Trinitarian Christian, many relate to God in a way which is not Trinitarian, either by dividing the substance, confusing the persons, or emphasizing one person of the Holy Trinity to the exclusion of the others, or the diminution, the diminishing of the others. I had a roommate in college that said something to the effect of, God the Father is wrath, and he wouldn't want to have anything to do with us. He couldn't even look at us if it wasn't for Jesus. Now, did my roommate believe in the Trinity intellectually? I have no reason to doubt that he did. He probably got an A on his systematic theology exam. But was he practically speaking Trinitarian? At least in that moment, no. He was dividing the substance. We now have two gods, one that is kind, Jesus, and one that is not so kind, the Father. But the story of the gospel is not the story of God the Son rescuing us from God the Father. The persons of the Holy Trinity are not at cross purposes. On the contrary, they are one in essence, nature, and will. As our Lord says in John 10, I and my Father are one. And it is the Son who reveals who? The Father. Who makes known the Father. Who is the perfect image and icon of the Father. And it is the Father who sends the Son into the world that it might be damned? No, that it might be saved. John 3.16, the most popular verse ever. For God so loved. John is picking out the person of the Father, is he not? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see how malformed conceptions of God will affect our very relationship with God. And in the Christian life, we don't want to fall into um, an unhealthy or deformed Christocentricism. That is, where the person of Jesus, the person of the Son, is emphasized devotionally to the exclusion of the Father and the Spirit. Attenuation of the Father, the emphasis of the Father, could lead to Jesus as semi-divine friend, especially when you couple that with a lazy or overly romantic reading of the Gospels. Jesus as the all-around good dude. On the other hand, attenuation of the Spirit. So if we de-emphasize the Spirit, if we're not practically Trinitarian, 
it could lead to a sort of deism. That, okay, we have the Father and the Son. God is above us. He's beyond us. So the Father is there, but he's a long way off. And the Son is there, and he did some really important stuff a long, long time ago. So we have a sense of God's transcendence, his holiness, his otherness, which is essential. We press into that, as we should at all souls. But without the Spirit, we would be bereft of a sense of God's imminence, of his presence with us and in us. That by the Spirit and in the church, God is infinitely close and active. On the other hand, a practical emphasis on the Spirit to the de-emphasis of the Father and the Son could lead to a diminished sense of God's transcendence or to a rabid individualism or to Bikram yoga with a Bible, a new age sort of spirituality. The feelings of religion, apart from the data of revelation, the scriptures, and the authority of the church. And all of these errors uh, which I'm going through are things that we see. I mean, there are individuals, there are groups who claim that the Spirit is leading them to say and do things which are clearly contradictory to the revelation of God in Jesus Christ. Now, there is a right and proper emphasis on Jesus as the devotional fulcrum, if you will, of the Holy Trinity. Again, it is the Son that reveals the Father. And it is the Holy Spirit that makes known the Son. The Son is the image of the Father. And the Spirit is the image of the Son. The Spirit does not have his image in another person. So in the economy of the Trinity, the way that God works in the world, the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus, as we read in today's Gospel. But as the Athanasian Creed says, the unity in Trinity, so we're not going to tritheism, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshipped. So don't leave here and say, I'm going to make sure that each person of the Holy Trinity gets his due. So on Monday, I'm really going to focus on the Father. And on Tuesdays, I'm really going to focus on Jesus. And on Wednesday, I'm really going to focus on the Holy Spirit. St. Gregory of Nazianzus wrote this. He says, No sooner do I conceive of the one than, I, than am I illumined by the splendor of the three. No sooner do I distinguish between them than I am carried back to the one. When I think of any one of the three, I think of him as the whole, and my eyes are filled, and the greater part of what I am thinking of escapes me. I cannot grasp 
the greatness of that one so as to attribute a greater greatness than to the rest. When I contemplate the three together, I see but one torch, and I cannot divide or measure out the undivided light. Lex orande, lex credende. The law of prayer is the law of belief. In other words, praying shapes believing. Thus, we want to engage in prayer. We want to engage in, and think of it in a broader sense, in the worshiping life of the church, which include what we're doing now, would include the study of Holy Scripture, fellowship, the sacraments. We want to engage in the life of Christ's mystical body because it is thoroughly Trinitarian and our spiritual life will be shaped in such a way that we grow in union with the Holy Trinity. That's what's important to understand. That engaging in the prayer life of the church, which is thoroughly Trinitarian, we do this, why? So that we can all become Rhodes Scholars. No, so that we can know the triune God. So that we can grow in union with the Holy Trinity, even if we never grasp the formula. Which, by the way, we won't. The mystery of the Holy Trinity is just that. It's a mystery. To understand who God is in himself, ontologically, to understand the being of God, you would have to be God. So it shouldn't bother you if the Holy Trinity doesn't quote-unquote, make sense. We know the truths of Christianity not by human reason, but revelation. Besides, I mean, take a few minutes and consider this question. How well do you understand finite things? How well do you know and understand yourself. So if this is the case with, the, with finite things, how much more he who is infinite and ineffable? Again, one more time, the Holy Trinity is central to doctrine and practice. And we don't divorce those two things. They're wed together. And what we know of the Trinity is to lead us into relationship with and in the Trinity. Brothers and sisters, you can't have a relationship with a doctrine. The Trinity is not a formula to be understood, but our God who is to be known, who is to be adored, who is to be worshipped, and to whom we are called to be united. So let us continue in worship 
of the Holy Trinity. Turning now toward the altar, whereat the Holy Spirit will transform bread and wine into the body and blood of the Son, through whom the Father is known and glorified. 